Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Last week, Murray introduced us to a new series, um, and it's centered around God's goodness, and uh, as introduced in the book of Genesis. New beginnings, I think, was one of the catchphrases as well. Um, so today we're going to keep on looking at that, um, as well as the original purpose and identity of mankind, and uh, how that fits into into what we're going through today. Um, so to continue where we left off, uh, we've got to start at the beginning, if that makes any sense. Um, you need to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Um, so... Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So, in the beginning, God's on this like creative spree, right? He's, um, he started off by creating the heaven and the earth. He then goes on to create light, um, which at first glance would indicate that he created heaven and earth in the dark, um, which, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, it was like he was like, yep, yeah, cool, switch it on. Perfect. Nailed it. First time. <laughs> I actually pinched that joke uh, from Ricky Gervais, uh, and he's a very outspoken atheist, so I couldn't, I couldn't go past the irony of using <laughs> his jokes in a sermon. So that's for you, Ricky. Um, so, yeah, God then goes about ordering everything. He's separating light from the dark, the seas from the land. He's creating plants, animals. And he, he looks at it all, and it's all pleasing. It's all very good. And then he starts on something really special. Um, so in Genesis uh, chapter 1, 26 and 28, if I could have that slide. Thank you. I know there's a lot there. Um, it reads, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So there's a lot there, but I really like how those series of verses read. Um, it's God saying, let's do this, we're going to do this, and then he does it. It's like he's consistent and intentional. It's like man's been given this purpose and this mission, and, uh, and he's even been given this base of operations, this beautiful garden that God himself plants. Um, and uh, the Hebrew word um, for Eden means delight. So this garden of delight. Um, so the first thing God has on man's little to-do list is be fruitful. So uh, this is a specific command to be productive, um, to be constructive, to be helpful, to produce good results. Um, Christian author Bill Johnson's wrote a book that Murray gave me called God is Good, and he writes that this included discovering the laws of God's creation and cooperating with them to make the ever-expanding garden a better place. 
So it appears that God wanted man to leave their own mark on the garden, um, to personalize it in a sense. He wanted to see how they were going to manage it or, or steward it under his authority. So the second thing uh, that uh, God gives us to do is to multiply and fill the earth. Um, now some of us have already been doing a great job of that. Um, and <laughs> sorry. So basically they had to have children. Um, who would then have more children, who would then have even more children, and so on and so forth. Um, and just like today, those children would need to be discipled. They would need to be instructed in the ways of the law by their parents and then their grandparents, and then, and then they would in turn instruct their own kids to, uh, to keep, uh, yeah, to all be done in accordance with God's rules. Um, and then naturally, if they had done this, Eden would have been extended. The garden would have just grown and grown and taken over the whole earth. And that ties in with the final command, which is to subdue the earth. Now, subdue traditionally means to overcome or to conquer, uh, to bring something under control. So some people have suggested that the Garden of Eden is perfect, and then outside Eden it's like chaos and disorder and run by the devil and... um, and I'm not entirely convinced about that, um, mainly because when God creates everything, which includes everything outside the garden, he says it's very good, um, which seems to contradict the chaos and disorder view. But then one of the meanings for the Hebrew word for good, tov, and I'm probably not saying that right, um, is to possess desirable or potential you know, um, qualities, having potential. And maybe that's how God saw the earth even in its chaotic state. So I'm kind of torn. Um, I probably should have worked, worked that out before I came up here, to be honest. <laughs> You're kind of seeing how the sausage is being made right now, uh, which I apologize for. <laughs> but people, people have been pondering this stuff for thousands of years. Um, it's not an easy one to lock down, uh, despite the internet. Um, so if, if you think you got the answer, by all means, let me know afterwards. Um, anyway, it doesn't take, it, it doesn't take away from the fact that the devil was around. You know, he, he may even made it into the garden. So he was he was there. Adam and Eve were born to this kind of war, as such, this um, this difference of opinions and and ways of how things should be done. Um, so even though the God could have destroyed devil with the word, he could have just said the word and it was gone. Like people think of the devil as the opposite to God, but he's not. He's he's a created being. You know, he's he's just like an angel or anything like that. God doesn't doesn't need to mess around with them. He can, he can take them out straight away. But it appears that, that God chose to defeat the adversary in darkness and sin through his delegated authority to man. Um, through man who was made in his image, who would be lovers of God and who would follow his plan by choice. Um, but man had to maintain control of creation and not let outside influences disrupt God's plan which God's plan appeared to be humanity living in perfect harmony under one God, all working to glorify God through their stewardship and management of what God had created. Everyone serving out of love for God and all he'd made and out of love for one another. Sounds pretty good, right? That's probably why God set it up like that. (laughs) Um, But as Murray led in last week, doesn't work out like that. Uh, man slips up 
He trusts in his own interpretation of good and evil. And instead of becoming like God when he eats the fruit, he actually becomes more like who he listened to, the devil. A wise friend of mine told me recently that when you take responsibility, you receive ownership. Responsibility meaning to take authority or control to become accountable for something. Um, Adam, unfortunately, does the opposite of this. When God comes and confronts him and says, what's, what's happened here? He blames God. He blames God for giving him Eve, and then Eve turns around and blames the serpent. They didn't take responsibility. Um, and they lost ownership. They lost dominion and the, the authority that God had originally given them over creation. So um, taking responsibility is something that I've actually struggled with for a long time. Um, I've always had a great long list of reasons why I couldn't do something or, or a long list of reasons why something I had done that other people might look at and go, oh, that's not too favorable. I'd say, no, it's okay because blah, 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 blah. Um, so some of you might remember um, I talked a little while back about my workplace um, and about my lack of enthusiasm for working there. Um, about how I pretty much considered all my workmates beyond saving. Um, I was desperate. I was praying quite desperately for God to take me somewhere else. You know, I wanted, I wanted to work in a Christian workplace, like a, a Cap or you know a Gavin's or somewhere somewhere like that that I'd be around people like-minded people. Um, and I felt like I got the response that the problem didn't lie with them. It didn't lie with my workmates. It lied with me. Um, I was lacking in my responsibility to be a witness, uh, to genuinely care for these people around me and their salvation. Um, so you might remember I, I made a conscious effort um, to start taking ownership of, of my role. Um, so I tried every day to apply myself to the best of my abilities to try and be productive, fruitful, and, and just joyful. Um, what I didn't mention, and I was going to have the book, but um, as I started a prayer list, so I listed every name of every employee on that company and even some that had left. Um, and I, I try even now my best every day to say each name and pray for their salvation. There are days when I don't, so it's not like I'm this perfect person. There are days when I don't. Um, when I got home late, from a Wren Collective with Murray and Jenny, I, I just went to bed. <laughs> I thought about it and then I went to bed. Um, so there's a name at the top of this list. Um, and looking back, I, I, didn't, I, I, I don't remember putting it there intentionally, but when I look back, he is the most outspoken critic of Christianity in the whole office. Um, he kind of embodies everything I thought was worldly about my workplace. Um, so two weeks ago, I'm in my office talking to someone and he busts in, busts just straight in and, and uh, proceeds to tell me about this dream he had of him dying and going to heaven and about being the, uh, the Bible was being spoken over him. Mm. He, was, he was shaken and this is a confident guy. Um, so I'm now in this position where I can witness to him and he has an open heart. You know, the Lord's, He's spoken to him, and, and he's, he doesn't just think it's a stupid thing anymore. He's, he's had an experience of it. And um, he's even started reading The Case for Christ. So I gave him a book called The Case for Christ. Some of you might know it. Um, he's an evidence-based guy, so I gave it that, and he's told me, I want to start reading the Bible. Now, he's a work in progress. I, I, 
I was I wanted I wanted <laughs> desperately because his wife texts me. His wife's a Christian. She's been praying for him for years, and I was I was hoping that I'd get a um. Think, hold on. No, I don't have an update. Sorry, <laughs> I was hoping I'd have an update before here just to really punch it home. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> keep working on that. Um, and I know that that when he submits to God, everyone else in the whole company is going to take notice because. He's this guy who's been so outspoken in the past. So um, he's a tool, all right. I, I, I believe in that. And uh, I'm not saying it's my prayers specifically, but you know, you know what I'm getting at. Um, God is good, and he listens. Um, but you don't need to take my word for it. When it comes to taking responsibility and the goodness of God, there's heaps of examples in the Scriptures and uh, one of them, I believe, is found in Exodus chapter 32. Go there if you want. Um, so just to give a little backstory, um, Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And uh, the Israelites are waiting for him to return at the bottom of the mountain. He's been gone a while, and they're starting to give up any hope of seeing him again. So they ask his brother Aaron, hey, look, can you, can you make us a God that we can worship? And thank for bringing us out of Egypt. And Aaron, for some reason, says yes. And he makes them a golden calf to worship in the meantime. And they, they worship it and sacrifice things to it and start going a little bit crazy. It's kind of like party time down there while Moses is, is up on uh, with the Lord. So God's with Moses and he sees this. Um, and I think the next slide, Jamie's Exodus chapter 32 verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, I've seen these people, and behold, they're a stiff-necked people, stiff-necked men, like arrogant and stubborn. They're going about and doing it their own way. Um, so he's saying, now therefore, let me alone, leave me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, um, and I may consume them, and I'll make you a great nation, um, which is pretty hardcore. Um, he's basically, yeah, he's basically saying he's going to wipe them out, and he'll he'll do it with Moses some other way. Um, mm, the Lord had had enough of their disobedience, obviously, and he's ready to cut them off and start all over again. I think he would have been totally justified in that, to be honest. Um, and Moses, he had to deal with their constant complaining and disobedience. Three million of them, they reckon, wandering around constantly asking him things, saying, my neighbor's dog bit my son, whatever, like constantly, constantly. I just pulled that one out of the top of my head, I'm sorry. More serious ones than that too, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so I imagine it would have been really tempting for Moses to just wipe his hands at them and say, yep, okay, let's move on and, and start again. But he doesn't. Moses actually steps in and pleads with God to spare them. He's taken full ownership of his commission to lead them to the promised land. He even goes on to say in verse 32 that if God's going to abandon the Israelites, he needs to abandon Moses too. Wow, that's what a leader. <laughs> um, Moses is seriously invested in the people of Israel. He, he takes the weight of their actions upon himself. So it's Moses' faith in God's goodness and his wanting to preserve God's glory that leads to God relenting and agreeing to forgive them. Now, he doesn't, Moses doesn't take their disobedience lightly, of course. He storms down the mountain and puts to death all the ringleaders. 
and I think there's about 3,000 of them. So he isn't playing around um, because that was God's grace. So Moses wasn't about to take advantage of it. Um, but later on, Moses asked God for a sign to show that he's still with them. And God agrees um, because of who Moses has proved himself to be. He's this righteous leader of integrity who has a real heart for these people. He's taken responsibility for these people, uh, which is Exodus thirty-three eighteen, And this is Moses speaking. He says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. So he's talking to God. And then God says, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So did you catch that? God's goodness, God's glory is tied in with his goodness. In fact, God's goodness is his glory. And he wants us to know him by the glory of his righteousness, mercy, and sovereignty. God goes on to hide Moses in this crack in the rock and covers him with his hand while he passes by Moses. The Lord's so holy and and righteous and full of light that Moses would have probably been consumed or burnt up, vaporized if he'd been exposed to him directly. So a question for you all, what do you think the crack in the rock represents? I'm looking for a Sunday school answer here. If you, I was hoping Daniel would be here because I'm sure he was going to get it. Bam, I don't have anything for you. <laughs> um, what about the hand of God? Can you do two for two, Luger? What about the hand of God? Yes, that's not good. <laughs> not what I'm looking for. No one? Guidance, yeah, in a way. Um, the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians verse 10 that Christ is the rock. And the Holy Spirit is specifically mentioned as the hand of God in Ezekiel a couple of times actually. So through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we're able to see and be a witness to God's goodness. His glory through his, his plan of redemption by sending Jesus to bear the consequences of our sin. A plan that he put in place actually as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 3.15, I don't have a slide for that, but he puts it in place straight away. He tells the serpent, this is what's going to happen. Um, Jesus took ownership of our sins. He took all the blame, the guilt, the fault, the responsibility and paid for it all by dying on the cross. Jesus gave us, Jesus gave his disciples and us a commission in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. If I can bring that up, one up, please, Jamie. Thank you. I gave Jamie about, what, 17 seconds notice <laughs> that I had a slideshow, so thank you for doing this. Um, and Jesus came and spoke, uh, spoke unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were seeking to be like God. So they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they experienced evil. It led to spiritual and ultimately physical death for them. But we are brought to life through the knowledge and acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. This knowledge and acceptance leads to the beginning of spiritual life. 
So both Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 refer to us putting on the new man and the new woman, our new self in Christ. So what are we supposed to take away from all this? I, um, I did have to seek some help from the king of sermon lists, Murray Henderson. <laughs> and this is what he had to offer, which I thought was really good. If we can go to the next slide, Jamie. Yep. We are too, in our, in our walk, reflect him and his nature. When we, procra- when we proclaim God's goodness, we bring him honor and glory. By us choosing to live by God's standards, we reflect and highlight him to the rest of the world. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds and his light can't help but shine through us. James 1.17 says that God is the source of all good things and his nature never changes. I've been to a Christian counselor a couple of times. Some of you might know him. His name's Alan Davey and he always says this. The quest of our life is to regain the image that we were created in. I quite like that. So the next slide, please, Jamie. We are to co-labor with him. So as per the commission in the Garden of Eden and the subsequent commission from Jesus to his disciples, we are to be productive, fruitful in all manners of the expansion of God's kingdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we can plant, but it's the Lord that gives the increase. But that means we've got to plant. <laughs> that requires that we do some of the work. Um, God will always keep his promises, but he's under no obligation to fulfill our potential. That's really up to us. Adam and Eve were given a huge assignment, which depended on their relationship with God, not only on their gifts and talents. Their authority was based entirely on being under the authority of Almighty God. So remember that God used people like Gideon, I spoke about him before, who was afraid of his own shadow, and David, whose own father didn't even believe in him. So he can use any one of us. Californian author and pastor Chris Voliton, I should have just said Chris, says, when you're in submission to his being God's primary mission, you become commissioned. So the third one, we can get that, cool. Agents of change. So according to Jesus, we are to make disciples of all nations. And in that very act, I believe the adversary will be subdued. It's very important to me, um, and I'm assuming, assuming everyone that comes up here and speaks, um, that I bring to you all here this morning, um, and whoever's listening on the podcast, the word that the Lord wants me to bring. So over my preparation time, I, um, I felt that I got two specific things to finish with. Um, and the first one is responsibility. I know I've already touched on it a couple of times. Um, but I want to say I feel like that's something the church in general really struggles with. Um, I know I do, so there must be other people out there like me. Um, I think it's easy for us to put all our, to put all the blame, sorry, on our various undesirable circumstances, whether we put the blame on God or others. Um, it seems we struggle to fully take it upon ourselves to change the environment around us. Um, we might notice a need or a, or a lack or, or an opportunity to do something and figure that someone else will take care of it, someone more qualified. Um, for example, if, if you think the preaching here stinks, Juliet's going to beat you up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if you think the preaching here stinks and the right word isn't being delivered every Sunday, 
then pray for those who do preach. Fast for us too. Intercede for God on our behalf and commit to seeing the change that you believe God is wanting. Hey, you might even be called to preach yourself. And this can apply to anything. Workplaces, people's health, marriages, maybe even a town voted the worst in the country. Now hear me right, I'm not saying all this needs to be done in our own strength. Like Murray said last week, it's, it's a heart thing. It's a commitment thing. It's a declaration to the Lord that we want what he wants and that we're willing to take responsibility and ownership and play our part. I believe that's the kind of attitude that gets his attention. And how could it not? But I also think it always needs to start with prayer. Moses constantly talked with God, and we can too, whenever and wherever we want. The plan of action needs to come from him, not from our own agenda. So just to finish, um, Juliet and I were walking to Orakawa Bay, I believe it. If you pull up the next slide, Jeremy. Looks like that. Um, so it's, it's a walking track off Waihi Beach. I'm sure some of you have done it before. It takes about 40 minutes uh, one way. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, about halfway. Yeah, yeah, it is hard to come back. Anyways, about halfway we go past this couple and they're resting on a small bridge. A younger lady and an older gentleman and they look absolutely knackered. It was a really hot day. We're kind of like, hey, how are you going? And they're like, how much further? <laughs> like, that was the first words out of their mouth. <laughs> and um, we're like, oh, yeah, it's not too far. Like, you're kind of about halfway. Just keep on going, a couple of hills. Just take it slow. So we left them and we carried on. We reached the bay. And as you can see, it looks like that. What you can't see is it's got heaps of Pahutakawas. They're like 400 years old, apparently. And they line the whole beach and they give like a third of the beach shade. So you don't even need umbrellas. You can just chill in the shade, on the sand. And there's oh, every time we've been there, there's only been a couple of other people on the whole bridge. Um, but the whole time, I couldn't get these people we'd passed out of my head. I, um, we didn't stay long. Uh, we've, yeah, we couldn't bring our lunch. Rookie mistake. Anyway, don't go down that path. Um, and as we walked back, I, just, I would, was desperate to see them along the way. I just, I wanted to, to know that they were going to make it. Um, and I wanted to encourage them to be like, yep, you've only got a little bit more. Um, so we're going, we're going, and I'm kind of losing hope, losing hope. And then we come to the place where we've met them, the little bridge. And uh, that's when I realized they've obviously turned back. Um, and I know it might sound a bit strange, but I was gutted. I was gutted. I so badly wanted them to see the bay and to enjoy the fruits of all that hot labor. And I asked the Lord, I said, did we say the wrong thing to these people? Um, and I felt him saying, no, you were truthful. You told them what to expect, but you left out the most important part. You didn't tell them how beautiful their destination was. You didn't, how worthy it was of all their efforts. You didn't sell them the vision. I think it's easy to get caught up with wanting to change the world, but Jesus already did that. He paid the price that we couldn't. And the next slide, I'm sure you all know it. This verse, John 3.16, contains a statement and a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. We have a responsibility to advertise this as much as we can. Wherever we can and to who and to whoever we can. It could be the difference between those around us spending an eternity with their loving creator or an eternity without him. If this is all new to you and the idea of an eternity with a God who would lay down his life for you sounds good, please come down the front after we finish and would love to talk to you more. This could be the day that you make the best decision of your life. In the meantime, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the new beginnings we receive through Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you that he received the keys to the kingdom and that he has passed those keys on to us. Give us a heart for those around us, a heart to take spiritual responsibility for these streets and for this nation, to wage war against the powers of darkness around us, to be good and faithful servants to you, all for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast.